Welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are joined today to help preview the Mariners heading into next week's Major League Baseball trade deadline by the managing editor of and writer for Fangraphs, as well as the co-host of the Effectively Wild podcast, a longtime friend of the pod, on for the first time because now we actually talk about the Mariners. Please welcome Meg Rowley. Hi, thanks for having me. Wow, fun to have relevant baseball in Seattle, huh? It is literally, we did our first ever Mariners emergency pod. I guess that was technically two weeks ago now. And to be back with a second one, two weeks <laughs> later is pretty wild, but also it's like, we were like three Julio Rodriguez scratches away from scrapping this completely <laughs> being like, let's just be sellers at the deadline and maybe three Julio Rodriguez scratches and two Julio Rodriguez home runs away from that happening. So we're, we're back in it two, now, right? It was, he only played, he didn't play the first game of the Rangers series, right? That's, that's right. I think, I think uh, he is very recently returned, but he looks, he looks as good as ever. Yeah. I love that the, the Mariners fan experience is like one thing has gone wrong. And so um, we have to salt the fields. Like there will be uh, no recovering from this Uh, start over. We've been, you know, we've been sad for a long time and you can tell sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the uh, Ryan Divish quote tweet about the person who was like, Julio sat out this game. Now all of a sudden Mariners fans are going to turn on Julio. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's all remain calm here. It's just such a wild thing because, you know, I was, I was in LA for the all-star game and the futures game and the draft and the Derby and all of that. And, you know, like I, I was around other baseball media members, so they are aware of who Julio is. Uh, I didn't need to educate them to that fact, but you watch that broadcast and you're like, wow, an entire country is getting to know this young person and like see how special and spectacular he is. And he has this star turn on the national stage and then like, you know, his wrist is hurt and they're like, why don't you sit so that, you know, you're useful to us later. And Mariners fans are like, he's a traitor. I hate him. No more Julio. It's like, it's okay. He, you know, we, we have done our share of prospect hugging over the years. We have been disappointed before we have seen young players who are supposed to sort of help turn the fortunes of the franchise around, you know, and I get the disappointment that sits there, but like, this is a, this is a very special thing that we're getting to watch. And this is a very special player who we're getting to watch. And I think we can, we can let that in, you know, it's okay. Were people mad at Julio? I was, I don't know. Pray for Julio crowd. Just like. If, if it was one of those things where it's like, it's a day to day, he'll be back maybe tomorrow. And then it was tomorrow. And then it was tomorrow. And I was like, oh God, he's never coming back. Oh, you left us. Do you ever see, do you ever have the experience of Twitter where you see discourse alluded to that is thankfully oh, yes. a, away from you, right? You're so like, many times. Yeah. I've, I've curated my timeline in the way I need to, because I know you're mad about something. And I don't understand it. So I'm, I'm given to understand that there was perhaps some, um, catastrophizing about like Julio's want. And I was like, I don't know, this is a guy who like doesn't eat chocolate anymore. So he can be fast. Like, I think we can just feel comfortable that the makeup here is really good and that he wants to play, but is perhaps being protected, um, from that instinct so that he can be available for the rest of the season and hopefully into October. I I think the summary there is it's okay to love again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, 
there's still a lot of season left. So stuff could happen. If you had asked me before they went on their 14 game win streak, like, are they likely to win 14 in a row? I would have told you no, because no baseball team is likely to win 14 in a row. Like that's just not, you know, that's not a common occurrence in baseball. Um, and so like they could lose 14 in a row. That is a possibility. Another team in the division could get hot. Another team in the American league could get hot and displace them. We've seen that happen before, but as we are sitting here recording at 2 15 PM Pacific time on Thursday, it is July 28th. Wow. It's really refreshing to know, given the amount of work I've had to do in the lead up to the deadline that I know what day of the week and the month it is. <laughs> That's better than I thought. Uh, but our our playoff odds for the Mariners uh, at Fangraphs sit at 77.2%. Most of that is wildcard odds. Their odds of um, winning the division and overtaking the Astros are quite long, which I think probably won't surprise anyone given how good that club is. Pretty annoying for Mariners fans that at a time when the Mariners were leading the American League in terms of their win percentage that the team right behind them was Houston. <laughs> so they, they weren't able to really make up much in terms of the division race, but um, right now we, we see the Mariners as a playoff team. And there were times last year when the Mariners were winning a lot and they were winning close games, which they are doing again this year. And we, and by we, I mean like the, the math behind these playoff odds was skeptical of them. The roster did not seem to support the, the wins that they were having. And that's not true this year. Like we can, this is a good ball club. Like, it's so weird. That was not true a couple of months ago, but it's true now. This is a good team. There's also more wild cards now, which I've sure. seen people compare it to. Uh, people compare it to previous seasons, and it's like, well, yeah, maybe this is similar to whatever season that happened. I don't. We didn't pay attention before two weeks ago, so I can't exactly cite them. But now there are more wild card teams. There's three cracks at it. It's not sure. like it's one of two slots. There's one more slot, and also I think the thing that's exciting is it's not like a one game playing for the wild card with right. the current format. Even if the Mariners are one of the wild cards, which again, they have a 77% chance of being or slightly lower, maybe there's a small chance of winning the division or whatever. But given that, it'll still feel like they're properly in the playoffs. It's not like it's one game. The Mariners right. play one game. They lost. They're gone. This is an actual series that they're going to play if they make it, which yeah. I think that's what makes all of this feel special right now and yeah. why we can let ourselves for a second, for a second, appreciate that 77%. Yeah. I mean, look right now, if the season were to end today, which would be very strange, but if it were like they are, they're not just in a wild card position, they're in a wild card position that they would have been in under the old system. Right. Because I have seen some fans suggest like, does it really count if they make it, you know, in, in the, in the third wild card spot, does that count as a playoff appearance? And I think that's kind of silly. Cause like the postseason's the postseason. you play, you play the slate you have and you play under the rules you're given, but even for those folks, like they would have, this this team in 2021 under the old structure they would have been a playoff team too it's exciting i, I do understand that one because i'm a strict the play-in is not the playoffs in the nba believer but to your point about this team being different than last year I, one thing i wanted to look up the Mariners have been better than 506 times since 2003 which is sort of sort of the uh, beginning of this era of sadness even if the playoff drought predates it a little bit of those six times, they've only had a positive run differential twice. Like they've right. had a remarkable knack for these seasons where they get everyone's hopes up. And it's like, yeah. actually, the ball is getting taken away from you. Yeah. And this feels very different in that regard, even if the run differential is not quite as good as it was in 14 and 16. Right. I mean, so we 
you know, we have a number of different ways that you can slice and dice the set graphs. I mean, just straight run differential is a not terrible one. You're right that they do have a, a positive run differential. I think they're plus 32 right now. We also have other ways of looking at their record to sort of stress test it and assess, like I was saying earlier, how how close is this to the underlying strength of the roster, right? Um, both in terms of the runs they're scoring and the and the runs they're allowing. And the Mariners are pretty close. Like they're pretty much right on their Pythagorean expectation. They're pretty much right on their base runs record. Like they're they're getting a little bit of forgiveness there. Um, we have them as a 53 or 52 win team by Pythag pad or base runs, but they've won 54 games. Like this isn't a meaningful difference. There's not a, you know, a 10 game gap there or anything like that. So I think that there are places where if they want to fortify themselves, not only for the stretch run, but for the postseason, they have an opportunity to do that. Um, this could be a much better baseball team next Wednesday morning than it is right now, if that's what the front office decides to do. And that's how the trade cards fall. But um, as they are now, like they're not, they're not an easy uh, win in a three-game series, right? So that's that's a fun and, and new thing to be able to say about Mariners baseball. So, Well, I guess the question then is, how, how good are they going to be once they trade for Juan Teto? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, look... I don't want to, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, right? I'm not here to say that trading for Juan Soto would be bad. That's not the take. That would be a, that would be a wild take. Um, I am skeptical that, that the Mariners actually have the firepower to trade for Soto. I know they are one of the names that when you read the, you know, anonymous executives are telling me, and I'm sure anonymous executives are saying that, but I, I look at this Mariners team and particularly their farm system, and they do have a couple of um, very good prospects who we see as top 100 guys at Fangraphs, but a lot of the depth has really fallen out of the system, um, mostly due to promotions, right? Like Julio's not prospect eligible anymore. And they're not, guess what? They're not going to move Julio Rodriguez to get Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of their ability to trade from the farm, I think that there are other teams who are interested in Soto who are better positioned to do that from uh, a prospect perspective. When you look at the young major leaguers uh, that the Mariners have um, who might be under team control when the nationals might be good again, which is how they're going to think about these things when they're looking at young big leaguers. If you have a guy who, and I know that uh, baseball is not the, maybe the primary sport for your audience. So if you'll allow a little like roster explanation here in, in baseball, after you've debuted, you have six and sometimes seven years of team control. Um, and some of those are very cheap and some of those years can get more expensive, but the team controls your rights for that stretch of time. The Nationals are not like one Juan Soto trade away from being good again, even with the, the sort of uh, haul of treasure that they are likely to, to get when they actually trade Soto. It's going to take them a while to be good. And so they are going to look not only at the prospects, but for, you know, young big leaguers who are already in the major leagues, how many years of team control are remaining for those guys? Because if it's one or two, the Nationals aren't going to be good in one or two years. So they don't want to trade for guys just to fill out the 40 man roster while they're waiting to be good. They want to trade for, for contributors who can be there when the next good nationals team emerges. So I think in that respect, um, Seattle's a little light also because, you know, they're not going to move Julio. 
they might be willing to move one of their young starters. Um, but I, I don't know that in combination, that's going to be as attractive an offer as other teams might be able to, um, to put to the nationals. And the other thing is that Seattle hasn't really demonstrated a willingness to take on big money, uh, as a way of sweetening the deal. So another way for someone to to sort of make this worth Washington's while would be to take on the contract of someone like Patrick Corbin, who is very bad at baseball right now and is due a lot of money for a little while longer. He is a player who this ownership group, particularly as they contemplate a sale might be really incentivized to move so that the next, you know, makes it a little marginally more attractive to the next potential ownership group. I don't know that Seattle is going to sit there and say, yeah, we'll take on the rest of Patrick Corbin's money because despite their willingness to do that with like Eugenio Suarez, when they got Jesse Winker, that was like $36 million and, and Corbin is due much more than that. So I, I would be surprised. I would be surprised if they could get a deal done that doesn't involve Julio in a different uniform. And I think that Seattle might burn T-Mobile to the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. If Jerry moves Julio and I don't know that Seattle would really be incentivized to do that. I mean, like Soto's fantastic, but, um, you know, there is, there is maybe a, a really cold, like dollars per war argument to make for keeping Julio, whatever. I think if you have the opportunity to trade for, uh, Juan Soto, you should do it. I can understand not wanting to sacrifice someone like Julio to that effort, which is why I think a team like say the St. Louis Cardinals, are really well positioned if they have the desire to, because they can combine very good young prospects with very young major leaguers like Nolan Gorman, who have a lot of service time left uh, under team control and would presumably still be there the next time the nationals are good. They've been mentioned in that race. I know San Diego has been mentioned in that race as sort of um, a front runner. I still think that the Dodgers are a, a good option here because they have a lot of depth in their farm system. They're a little lighter on young big leaguers who sort of fit that mold, but they have shown a willingness to take on money in the past. So they have a lot of different ways to get a deal done. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I was talking with one of my colleagues at the site earlier today. We've, we've seen one trade so far, really, right? Like Andrew Benintendi went to the Yankees yesterday, despite not being vaccinated and then playing in the AL East. So that's, you know, a thing. He said he'd get vaccinated. He said he was open to it. And I was like, Uh okay, (laughs) that's a whole, that's a much longer conversation, but it's just like, oh, Andrew, just get the jab, man. I like Um, the idea that Royals, Andrew Benintendi is not vaccinated, but Yankees one is. That's a different guy. It just feels, it would feel so terrible to have been in the clubhouse with those with like him and Whit Merrifield who said something similar. Like if I were moved to a contender, I would think about it. I don't know. That doesn't strike me as great teammate behavior, but that's just me. So um, I think that, uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of pre-deadline activity and we normally get a couple of reasonably sized trades. I think that the Soto of it all is gumming up the whole works because the prospects that move to trade for Soto are going to take whatever team that is out of the running for all of the other marquee um, sort of available players, you know, whether it's a, a pitcher like Luis Castillo or some of the other position players who might be available. So I, I expect that like Soto will get done if it gets done. And I think they will move him um, because if he is available to a contending team for three postseasons rather than just two, like that's pretty valuable. Right. Um, but I, I think we're kind of 
in wait and see mode until he he moves. So is there okay? So say you're the Mariners. Are yeah. you comfortable moving anybody else in the roster, Logan Gilbert included, aside from Julio Rodriguez in a trade for Juan Soto? Oh yeah. You oh yeah. Think, you wouldn't think twice about trading Logan Gilbert. I would think twice about it, but I don't know how much longer. I think that they would probably try to push George Kirby would be what they would do. And that might be appealing to the nationals because he has more team control left. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that if they were to put a, a prospect package together, it would certainly involve Kirby. It might involve Gilbert. Um, they might look at Emerson Hancock. Um, they would probably throw Kelnick in as a sweetener, although people sometimes are putting him as like the first guy in the deal. And I was like, Jared Kelnick doesn't really have any trade value right now, but whatever. Um, you know, they would look at someone like, um, let's see, they would certainly look at someone like Matt Brash, who, um, you know, I am not convinced that Matt Brash will ever have the command to be a starter. We kind of flirted with that early in, in the year with him. Um, but like it, it's hard to find a reliever with nastier stuff than he has. Like it is, it is not always close to the strike zone, but that doesn't often matter. It's kind of incredible. (laughs) Um, So I imagine someone like Brash would be involved, but yeah, I mean, like you're, if I were Seattle, I would contemplate pretty much anyone. Um, I would hold out Julio. I would try very hard to keep Logan Gilbert. Cause I think he's a pretty special pitcher. Um, but yeah, like they would just have, they would just immediately have the best outfield in the American league. And I think I say that fully knowing who plays in New York. Uh, okay. Understanding that let's say that a deal was done. This is a hypothetical world. Let's okay. say that there is a deal done for Julio. Let's say that it's both George Kirby and Logan Gilbert. They probably don't have the firepower at that point to go out and trade for a pitcher like Luis Castillo. Right. Right. And so this is the other thing. I think that what they, they are in a position where they can dramatic, well, maybe not dramatically, but they can meaningfully improve their roster um, in places that they need to without trading for Juan Soto, which doesn't mean they shouldn't, you know, make some offers there. Cause you just never know where your offers are going to stack up relative to other teams. You know, they'll have a, a reasonable sense of what other teams sort of no trade lists are. Um, but, you know, you make your offers and then let the nationals say no, basically. Um, but I think that they're in a position where they can do other stuff and put themselves in a really good spot to hold on to their wild card spot and then be a real problem in the postseason. Like, I like Marco Gonzalez. I think he's a useful guy for them to have around like them adding another starter of Castillo's quality, I think meaningfully changes their fortunes. And it certainly changes how I think about their likelihood of pulling out a, a postseason series um, would be, you know, a lot of stuff happens in the postseason. They're short series. They're not really representative of um, or they're not always representative of like the best team in baseball winning, but, you know, having top line starters, is really impactful in the postseason in baseball. So I think that they have an opportunity to upgrade there. And then, you know, they just have an opportunity to like upgrade the bottom of their 40 man roster on the position player side. I think we saw this when, you know, Julio had the wrist thing and he was out for a little bit. Jesse Winker was dinged up. Like you want better Dylan Moore is a fine utility player, but like, you don't want Dylan Moore starting a playoff series. You definitely don't want like Abraham Toro starting a, playoff series right they have a real opportunity to sort of upgrade the guys in on the bench sort of at the bottom of their 40 man 
Um, and those, those deals can be done, I think, less expensively. Um, I think every team at the deadline is kind of always in the reliever market. That might be a more pressing need for them now than it was even a couple of days ago. Now that Diego Castillo has gone on the injured list, which I think happened today. Um, that's why Matt Brash is back up from Tacoma. So, um, again, those are deals where you're not necessarily having to, you're certainly not really having to leverage any of the, um, guys who are names that like everyone knows to go get another reliever, um, or even to, to add some complementary pieces on the position player side to bolster your bench and put yourself in a spot where, you know, if Julio goes down again, if Mitch Hanager is slow to return, like I'm so happy that Kyle Lewis is back, but like, he does not look good in the field. Like he doesn't look like he can run very well. So his utility is kind of maybe limited. You just, you can kind of raise your floor by addressing those things. If they go after a player like Castillo, then we're talking about names in the farm system that um, a lot of people are going to be familiar with, but then you have Luis Castillo. So, you know, that seems good. (laughs) (laughs) That that is the trade-off there. Right. I mean, you mentioned Hanniger. It it feels like in some ways he could offensively be their biggest trade deadline on acquisition and quote unquote. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I... (laughs) Man, poor Mitch Hanniger. It's it is weird how much I know about what is going on with Mitch Hanniger's body for a person I've never met. Like we know intimate details about Mitch Hanniger, and I don't feel like I should know that about a stranger. Like I don't need to know what you know I mean, what's going I mean, on in your downstairs. Like that's this, not my business. <laughs> this is presuming that Mitch Hanniger and Danny Kelly are different people, which we still haven't <laughs> seen them both in the same place at the same time, have we? Uh, I guess that's true. Um, so I, like when Mitch is healthy, we have seen Mitch be fantastic. You know, we have really seen him be excellent. Um, you know, I think they just probably don't know what they're really going to get. Like, it's not like the layoff has been as long as some of his has, have been. We saw what he could do last year. Um, and that was really good, but, um, I don't know that you're certainly not going to feel um, overly confident in his availability. I imagine that they will, um, particularly if they continue to build wildcard cushion, um, that they will manage his playing time conservatively. He'll probably spend a good amount of time at DH to keep the body fresh. Um, and you know, they should wrap him in bubble wrap in case of another hit by pitch, but, um, you know, he, he could, you're right. He could end up being the guy where we're like, Oh yeah, they just like got Mitch back and then everything was fine. Um, but I think that they will probably be realistic about both the, the potential for him getting hurt again, and also just the need to, um, manage him carefully to try to keep him healthy. Uh, let's, let's talk Castillo a little bit since he, you know, starting pitcher does feel like the most likely place for them to upgrade pretty substantially, you know, is, is the level of success that we've seen from him this season, you know, is sustainable. He, he's been more effective than he was la- the last couple of seasons, it seems. Yeah, he's um, he's made some changes to his pitch mix. I think his fastball is playing uh, better than it was, even though, you know, he hasn't really experienced a huge uptick uh, in velocity, but just like it's, you know, it's approach angle is a little bit different um, and it seems to be playing better for him. I mean, he will be, apart from Soto, I imagine the most popular um trade piece on the market saying trade piece sounds gross, but like he is going to be highly sought after by um, every team because every team in baseball needs more pitching. Like 
every single one, even the ones that have fully healthy staffs need more pitching because pitchers get hurt. No one should pitch. It's bad for you. I don't know why anybody does it. No one should catch either. Catching is also bad for you. Um, you know, those guys get dinged up all the time. So um, I think that he, you know, his, his luster has sort of um, fallen off just because, you know, everyone's thinking about Juan Soto, but like before we knew that Juan Soto was available, like Castillo was the name. Um, and he is going to be, I think, um, particularly valuable on the market, given that some of the other names that we thought at the beginning of the year might be big marquee names coming into next Tuesday are, you know, either recently coming off of the injured list or, um, haven't thrown a lot since, um, since the early part of July. So like Frankie Montas for the A's, um, he threw three innings pretty recently. And then I think maybe he had one other start where he threw more, but like he hadn't pitched since July 3rd. Um, Tyler Maley is I think scheduled to come off the IL or very recently did. So some of the names where, where the industry thought, okay, these guys are on teams where there's going to be a, a motivation to move them. You know, they are not as foolproof from an injury perspective as they once were. So I think that Castillo is, is going to be kind of the, the cream of the crop and he has been, yeah, he's been fantastic this year. Like he, he will definitely be a, a meaningful contributor on a postseason team. I would be shocked if he doesn't move, um, you know, and, and there's still, he is a free agent after the, after next season. So you're not even doing a strict rental either. Like you'll get him for another year, which, you know, for a team like the Mariners who are hoping to maybe really challenge the Astros for the division, that's, you know, going to be appealing to them because he is cost controlled. He'll make money in our, but you know, he's, he's going to be a big contributor and then potentially leave salary money there for them to upgrade in other places. So I'm sure they will try. I don't know if they'll succeed, but they have, I think a much um, more realistic shot with him than they do with Soto, just because of the difference in the prospects that are going to be required to acquire him, which will be meaningful, but achievable. On, on a purely sense. conceptual level, looking at the Mariners roster as it is knowing that we talked earlier before the 14 game win streak, that like the Mariners timeline is Julio Rodriguez's timeline. Obviously Julio's good right now, but he's also a rookie. Like on a conceptual level, do you think it would make more sense for the Mariners? It seems like there's a lot of chatter about them making moves at the deadline. People love moves, right? Yeah. You feel like you're doing something if you've done that. Do you think it could hypothetically make more sense if you're the Mariners? You're already in the playoffs. You have these 77% odds. Mitch Hanniger is coming back to just basically do nothing or at least not move on from any of the marquee young players in the roster and maybe do something where you're, you're churning the bottom of the roster a little bit, but it's not making a move on a high level where you might be leveraging some of your future for a season when, if we're being honest, that 77% of making the playoffs becomes a lot lower when we're talking about winning the AL and winning the World Series. No, they should make a move at the deadline. They should fortify the roster. Like, I, I think that there is a team building argument to be had that, you know, they could wait and see how things go this season and then play in the free agent market this winter. But I think two things about that. One, I don't know what this ownership group's commitment to payroll is like, and it feels a little funny to say that when they've just signed Robbie Ray, but like this team has a lot of payroll room if they want to spend it and they haven't yet. And so maybe they'll spend, maybe they won't, but I don't think that counting on hypothetical spending means that you can't improve your roster right now. This is the part of this that is just like, 
your playoff drought can drink, right? <sighs> your playoff drought can drive in a car without supervision. Like how, how do we feel about swears on your podcast? We, we love just, it. <laughs> let's fucking go. It's been yeah. long enough. All like, right. This is a team that can play in October. Will they advance past the wild card? I don't know, but get this monkey off your back, get to the postseason, and then go use the money that you just got from having actual postseason revenue to go sign another good free agent. Like, let's go. It's time. I don't know how, you know, like I'd like my grandpa to see a playoff game, <laughs> right? I'd like my family to be able to enjoy playoff baseball. There is no reason for this team not to take an expansive approach and say, look, we believe in our ability to develop good players. We have good prospects. Some of those guys will be contributors to this club. Some of them have their best use in bringing other contributors in. We're going to make a move at the deadline. And then we're going to go spend money in the winter. And we're going to be a real baseball team. Like there is no reason for a team in Seattle to not spend big. There's no reason for them to not commit to trying to be there. There's no more. Let's not do any more of this like wishy-washy stuff. Let's fucking go. Because right right. now, because right now in 2023, we estimate that their uh, payroll will be 100 and wait, I'm looking at the wrong team. I was like, that's way too high. (laughs) This is what happens when your payroll um, uh, bookmark defaults to the San Diego Padres, which let me tell you, they spent a lot more money. (laughs) How is that possible? Is there a new ownership group in San Diego? Um, one of their, this is a fun, um, aside. So one of their like control person. So the, the face of the ownership group changed, um, a couple of years ago. And I think that San Diego saw rightly that, um, and I don't say this to, to disrespect, I think they have soccer and maybe rugby professional rugby in San Diego. But I think that the Padres rightly saw like, we're the only game in town. Mm -hmm. Let's be a baseball city. Yeah. And if you go to San Diego and you walk around the gas lamp, like people are in Padres stuff, like they're, they're amped for the Padres. So I think that their ownership group is like, we're the only game in town and this is a beautiful city and a great ballpark. Let's, let's fucking go. So, um, we estimate the Mariners luxury tax payroll. So this is the, the payroll matter number that matters to the league in terms of whether you pay taxes and penalties and whatnot. For 2023 is $87 million. Now that involves some free agents falling off. Some that number will go up when like guys in arbitration actually get paid. But that that's a that's a low number to put that in perspective league-wide. Like the Mariners payroll this year, they're ranked 22nd in baseball, right? Like the Cincinnati Reds have a higher big league payroll than the Mariners do this year. The Colorado Rockies. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, like, uh, there are some other, you know, teams in here that are, are not very good. So I, I don't know that they will ever spend like the Dodgers do, but they should spend like a competitive big league club, especially now when their best player is going to be making 700 (laughs) K like Julio is so inexpensive for the production he brings. Like, the the way to justify that and feeling good about it without feeling totally icky is if you reinvest that savings back into the payroll. If you say we get Julio for way less than he should make or would make in the free market, let's spend that money on other guys so that by the time he reaches free agency, he's been to a World Series. Yeah. 
no, it to- totally makes sense. We talked about the comp- the comparison between young Russell Wilson and the Seahawks basically being like, we need to win a World Series right now with Russell Wilson on a third right. round draft pick contract right. or whatever. The Mariners need to go do it right now. Also, similar to the San Diego Padres, there's a pretty huge void in Phantom in the city of Seattle right, right now because yeah. of Russell Wilson. And you could look around this summer and be like, this is weirdly a Mariners town yeah. all of a sudden. We're doing an Mariners emergency podcast. So right. I'm pretty excited. I thought you were going to be like, well, I think they probably should wait. Like sometimes yeah. as fans, we get too caught up in thinking the long term and not trying to win right now. But let's do some do some moves i mean i I want to trade for juan soto fuck everything else yeah and and like i i think that you can you can have the mindset of wanting to improve the team and potentially aggressively without completely mortgaging the future but the reason you develop prospects the reason that you you know go through a rebuild is to be in the exact position they're in right now, right? It's to go to the postseason. Like that is in theory what we're here to do. And so I think that when you're in a good spot and you can get better and, you know, feel like we're not just going to reach the postseason, we might actually advance in October. Maybe we'll make a deep run. I mean, the way I hope that they start to think about themselves is, and I can appreciate the ways in which this comparison might feel uncomfortable to Mariners fans. So allow me to say it is a very specific comparison I'm about to make. But the Houston Astros made the postseason a little bit before they thought they would, right? They were there a little bit early. And I don't know that the Mariners are actually that early. This is when they said they were going to get there. But, you know, they invested in their team. They signed a couple guys. The Padres are a great example of this. When the Padres signed Manny Machado, they weren't quite ready. But they were like, look, Manny Machado only becomes a free agent every so often. Like there aren't endless Manny Machados. So let's sign this one so that when we're ready to be good, we have him on the roster and maybe we'll get there a little early. And then we're going to be really happy. We have a Manny Machado lying around because that's a really good baseball player, right? You can, you can try to have it both ways. And the easiest way to have multiple avenues of player acquisition is to be willing to spend, right? Because maybe they'll get, you know, they'll get down to it next Tuesday and they decide actually like this trade is too rich for our blood or we've been outbid because there's another team with a deeper farm system that's in a position that we aren't. And it's like, okay, then you get another bite at the apple this winter, either in trade or signing free agents, signing guys in free agency. I think that they should be appropriately aggressive to address their needs now. And then they should keep being aggressive because, you know, like all it costs is money. It is easier to sign free agents because you don't have to give up prospects, but if the right package comes along to get better now, do it. And then if the right guy is there, you know, come November or December, and you think that guy is going to make it make sense and make us potentially challenge the Astros for the division, do that too. Do all the stuff. I mean, I think back to the 95 trade trade deadline when the Mariners added Andy Benes. And that was at that point, the uh, playoff drought, which was the entire franchise's history. It could only, uh, it could go to R rated movies. I don't know if it could smoke yet for in this analogy that we're in here, but like, that was, that was a thing other teams did until 1995. And all of a sudden that was an indication. The Mariners are serious about making the playoffs. And I think the contrast to last year when they were trading their closer to the Astros leading up to the trade deadline, which I, I think was the right decision. But now is the time. I mean, you've got the the group here. 
you did the hard work of being patient the last three years as right. part of the two years as part of this rebuild. And it right. did produce a playoff contending team last year faster than expected. But now, now is when I think you, you do make, make the move. Especially because I think that the talent foundation that they're dealing with is appreciably better than what they had last year. Like I had a, I had a gut reaction to them trading Graveman last year, like a, a, you know, an emotional reaction, but then, you know, I like took 15 minutes and thought about it. I'm like, well, Graveman's not quite as good as his numbers indicate. And, you know, they're getting other stuff and like, they do need another bat and this is probably fine. And so I know that wasn't a popular move in the clubhouse, um, but like I kind of got it and I kind of got them not doing more because I believed that the team was not as good as their record indicated, right? Which didn't make me popular with Mariners fans, but it's like they're they're winning and those wins are banked. You can't take them away. But, you know, this team is not it's being held together by an incredible bullpen performance and like really well-timed hitting. That's very different than being in the position they're in now where like Logan Gilbert has rounded into form and I know they have to manage his innings, but like George Kirby looks really good. And Julio is Julio, you know, like Julio's probably going to win rookie of the year. It's going to be him or Jeremy Pena. Like, uh, yeah, that's, so great. <laughs> All right. Well, and I want to say everyone be sure to uh, check out Fangraph's uh, trade value column that's running this week. I noticed Julio Rodriguez isn't in there. So fingers crossed whether he'll be in the top 10 that has yet to be revealed. I don't know. I didn't put my finger on the scale with that one either. But, um, you know, sometimes talent is just undeniable. Meg, thank you so much for joining us. As you said, let's fucking go. Let's yeah. get it. We will be monitoring this trade deadline closely. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to come back on and join us for our Juan Soto emergency podcast. <laughs> Uh, or or at least the Luis Castillo emergency that's podcast. Fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that too. <laughs> this is what we do now as Mariners emergency podcast. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me.